0: I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Catalyst for Change, brought to you by the Shaw Family Foundation. A few times a month, we talk with changemakers who are using entrepreneurial tactics to solve big problems. I had the opportunity recently to talk with a true game changer for so many students in Boston, Manny Allen. A teenage dropout himself, Manny runs the Re-Engagement Center at Boston Public Schools and works with students who have dropped out of school. He meets them and gives them reasons to return to school with great success. I'm amazed by the work that Manny does, as well as his dedication and commitment to the students of Boston. Let's get started. Today I'm talking with Manny Allen, the co-founder and director of the Re-Engagement Center at Boston Public Schools. The REC, as it is called, provides comprehensive outreach and counseling services to intervene with students who have dropped out or are struggling to complete high school. It was launched just over 10 years ago in partnership with the Boston Private Industry Council at a time when close to 2,000 students a year were dropping out of high school and never returning to earn a diploma. By 2016, Boston had reduced that number by 66%, thanks in no small part to the tireless work of Manny and his team. Manny has been working on dropout prevention and intervention in the city of Boston since 2006. Manny, thank you for taking the time to t- today to talk with us.
1: Thanks for having me, Jim.
0: So, Manny, we probably should start with you because your story is very important for context. I don't know it very well, so I'm excited to hear it. Um, but I'm guessing it's also ex- it's important to the success that you have in helping so many students return to school and get their diploma or their GPA. Um, you understand to some degree where they're coming from because you two dropped out of Boston Public Schools. Could you tell us a bit about your story?
1: Um, My story is uh, typical uh, to a lot of the students that I work with. Mm -hmm. I never really liked school to begin with. Mm -hmm. I never understood it. Um, I didn't understand how it played in my life. And when I became 17, which I thought I was a man at that point, I decided to pursue adulthood and leave school.
0: Where were so where did you start? When you were you started school in kindergarten? Pre K? Uh
1: yeah, kindergarten.
0: Kindergarten. And where where did you go to school?
1: Um, kindergarten was I believe it was the Winthrop. Yeah, okay. Um and then elementary, the first part of it was the Russell. Okay. And then I went to the Hernandez where I stayed until fifth grade. Okay. After that was the Mackey.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then I was then I went to the Wilson,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: was a behavior program that I was in for a while, lab cluster. Okay. Learned some lessons there. Um, ended up graduating from middle school at the Rogers.
0: This is crazy.
1: And then I went to uh, the, then I, I went to the Burke and that's where I dropped out.
0: Wow. So, okay, wait, let's go back to the part where you were in a behavioral program. Mm-hmm. How did you end up there?
1: Well, so for me, I'm, I'm the oldest of seven. Okay. I should say. And, um, you know, it was, it was my mother, my, she got remarried, but that was, kind of challenging mm-hmm. and um the longer the short is I ended up playing a big role helping with my family yeah so school was the part of my life that was actually I guess not serious because yeah. everything outside of school was serious so I ended up using I and mean, right now I'm telling you as an adult because yeah. now I you know thought through it a lot right but, right. but I what I was realized what I realized is that I was using school mm. as a place to kind of let go yeah because um, at home I was responsible was helping raise my little brothers and sisters yeah you know that I means you had to be kind of mature. You had to redirect them. So yeah. when I went to school, I just kind of let let go, and um, that landed me in, in a behavior program.
0: So when you, how did your mom feel about all of this? Because if you were the oldest, mm-hmm. she had a lot going on. So. Yeah.
1: So my mother, um, she didn't really understand it totally because like who I was at home and what she used to hear hear about my behavior at school did not match. Yeah. So of course she was um, disappointed and just perplexed to mm. be to be honest. Um, I mean, she understood it at some level, yeah. But you know, she was just very confused, and and I I would even say that my teachers, some of them, yeah. um, kind of really knew who I was, but I just didn't. Yeah. I just wasn't connecting with school.
0: You couldn't align with it. Mm-hmm. What how, how what was your mom's relationship like with school?
1: Um, well, not good because most of the times I've been in countless parent teacher conferences. Yeah, you know, and that gets so old after a while. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and I just would never connect and kind of never straighten up until I, you know, well, let me just say I, when I was in my, when I was in my lab cluster, I thought it was ridiculous that I was there and there was no way in the world I was going to behave in a behavior program. It just right. didn't make sense. So, so I just kind of, went, I just went along with the program. And at a certain point I started to realize like we, when we, when I was in that program, I started with decimals.
2: okay, And
1: two years in, we were still on decimals.
2: And understand.
1: after a while, I said, you know what? I'm really not learning here. Yeah. Like, this is you starting knew to become it, you a could problem. Tell. Yeah. And I was like, this is starting to be a, a problem. And yeah. then I kind of started to kind of rein my behavior in. Yeah. But then I realized how much of a habit I've gotten into just kind of misbehaving. Right. Um, so I, bottom line is I've I created a big incident. My mother didn't know this, but I, I created a big incident because um, I knew they would call my mother in.
2: Yeah. And You did this on purpose. On purpose.
1: Because I, I, wanted to, I wanted to get out of there, mm-hmm. and I wanted my mother to sign me out. Um, so I, I brought her in, um, and I, I did that because I, I, I forget what I did, but it was pretty big. Well, I, I knew it was going to be a big, big meeting. And so it was myself, the director of the program, a lot of my teachers. And then I told my mother right there, I was like, Ma, you know, sign me out. Okay. I'm not learning here. Like I'm not going to be successful. If I stay here, I'm not, not going to be successful in life.
0: It's pretty smart that you knew how to convene everyone,
1: though. That was some of the skills that come along with taking care of your, your yeah. younger siblings. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing is, and that was like one of my first life changing moments because the the principal was there, his name was Mr. Stinkerwoods, never forget his name. It's really <laughs> unique. But a good name. he looked at me in my eyes and he said, Your son, well, my mother, he said, Your son will not uh survive one minute in mainstream. Hmm. Um, like I just was uncontrollable in his eyes.
0: Way to set expectations,
1: huh? Right, and I looked at her, and and then I just remember her like pausing, almost like like she was kind of like listening to him a bit. Yeah. And then I said, "I was like, Ma, you know me, like you know." And then she kind of like snapped out of it, right. and, and and decided to sign me out. So at that point, um, that's when I went to the, so my mother signed me out longer st- uh, at the end of eighth grade year. Okay. I finished at the Rogers. I did fine, I graduated. Um, mm-hmm. But that sort of ended my um, misbehaving in school because hmm. I, I, I promised that I would prove him wrong because I knew who I was.
0: Yeah, so he said one thing and you said no, no Yeah. no. no, no I, yeah. So it
1: was never a behavior issue after that. Interesting. However, I never really connected academically to school either.
0: Well, was the Burke very challenging?
1: Um, the Burke had his own challenges back then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that the Burke had lost his accreditation a few years in.
0: Okay. How did um, you end up at the Burke? Is was it by choice or do you got assigned? To I just go to got the assigned there. Okay. Just
1: yeah. got just got assigned there. I actually uh, lived. I didn't live far from there. I lived down the street. So okay. I, I I'm guessing that's the reason why I got assigned there. Yeah. But um but no I, it wasn't like a <laughs> high school wasn't like a forward thing like I planned for it it was right. just it just kind of happened and um but high school was interesting. Um, first it's the end of lines, like, you know, high, uh, elementary, the way I look at education is like elementary school is like less, it's just more lines yep. and then it's less lines. And then you go to high school and there's no lines and you can kind of <laughs> go wherever you want. So that's kind of was like the big piece that I noticed about high school is just, you can go anywhere. And, and um, it was fun, too fun, yeah. um, for me yeah. and I, I really didn't know how to handle it. And, and it,
0: it was fun because you were connecting with people that you Liked socially, so it was more fun in that way, or how was it fun? Yeah, it was, it was
1: more of a social yeah. thing, but I guess what you don't learn or what you learn later is how to balance the social and academic part.
0: But you, so, but it's interesting what you're saying about your home life was very complicated and it required a lot of you, and you needed a release. And the only time of day that you could release was in the daytime while you were at school,
1: right? And there's other parts of school that's safe as well, like, um, if you're in school and you get in a fight, mm-hmm. someone's gonna break it up.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: like you know that. And I, and I, and I think in, in some level, young people know that mm-hmm. when they sort of have conflicts in school. But outside yeah. of school, you're in spaces and places where the conf- there's no one to break up the conflict right. and it can lead to even death. Right. So there's a level of safety in school in that way. That, mm-hmm. there's always something to eat. There's always, you know, the um, school is safe in that way.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So you, but you ended up dropping out of mm-hmm. Burke. So what happened?
1: Um, at the time, I just I just wanted to live my adult life. I, like I turned 17, you know. Um, I, I think one of the byproducts of being responsible in your family is you kind of feel differently about yourself. I didn't exactly feel like a kid.
0: Yeah, did you ever feel like a kid?
1: Not really. Because you,
0: really. how old is your next sibling?
1: Uh, two years younger. But even to this day, they still refer to me as their uh, older brother. Like it's not a separation. Like yeah. in my mind, we're brothers. They're like, no, you're my older brother. Well, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. always so it's always been that way. Um but, yeah. but from
0: the age of two you really weren't a kid because you just had seven uh, you had six say, and six other brothers and sisters. I would say
1: honestly it happened at seven. At seven is when my father left and he said he was leaving and he told me I was a man in the house and I took that to heart. Wow. Um so honestly I, I would say that is when the mentality shifted in my mind mm. and I've pretty much been upholding that since since that day. That's amazing.
0: Um did you did you work also?
1: Um, I started working. i I've been working my first job. Was 14, a job, but even before that, I used to babysit, paint, like yep. any anything that sort of was legal and made money, I I would do it. Um, but then I was working since 14 and then uh, 17 again. Like when while I was, well, even to say on the dropout piece, I just wanted to kind of live my adulthood life. I just wanted to, school didn't match adulthood.
0: How, how far away were you from graduating in terms of credits? Um,
1: I learned when I came back, honestly, but I was two years away. Okay. Um, when I when I dropped when I dropped out.
0: Were you in your junior year at the time when you dropped out? Or did um,
1: you no, I was more of a sophomore. You're a sophomore. I was okay. A sophomore.
0: So you so you theoretically knew you had two more years left to go. You had two more years left of credits.
1: No, I didn't know that. Oh,
0: you didn't know that.
1: No, I wasn't really following it. Okay. I I, I learned. when I came huh. when I came back and I returned. Yeah. You know, then my guidance counselor sat me down and said, "Hey, you, you know, you have two years left," and oh. that was kind of like the. The Matrix moment, you know, where you take the red pill or the blue pill. And then I was like two years and, you know, when you're young, yeah. and that's like, and I was 19 at this point. yeah. So that means I'm going to graduate when I'm 21. And that was like scary. yeah. But what I told myself or what got me through was I said, hey, you know, you kind of, um while I was out, I tried to work. I tried mm-hmm. to live as an adult. I tried to, I lived with people. I tried to get my own apartment, realize I didn't have enough money, like all the, uh, Adulthood things kind of hit me in my face. Right. So when I when I made the decision to go back to school, I said, "Hey, you know, it's not really about being adult by age. I want to be able to move like an adult, like right. a grown person. Right. In order to do that, all the all the grown people who I've seen who who uh were doing something at least had their high school diploma.
0: So what was it in you that allowed? You sound like a very good observer of other people and, and of your surroundings. And so what were you observing that made you realize that a college or a, a high school diploma was important?
1: Well, there's a lot of things when you're out of school, the adults around you, they either literally talk to you mm. or they give you this kind of look mm. like you're supposed to be in school, mm. you know, cause most won't engage you, but you, but you know that they know that you should be in school. Right. So that was the first piece on um, the second, a lot of adults who I was talking to, mm. um, they they were like telling me what they would be doing if they was my age. Oh, and okay. a lot of these things would have to do with high school. Oh, I'd still be playing basketball. I'd mm-hmm. do this, I'd do that. If I had it to do over again, so much if I had it to do over again, I had it to do over again. And then at one point it snapped and I was like, hold on, I am still these ages that you're saying. Right. You know, That was a sort of another piece. I worked at Walgreens for a while um, and Walgreens was an interesting experience because one, I just was trying to live a teenager's life and I, from week to week, check to check, I just, you know, it wasn't making sense. Like I would get paid, yeah, buy like a pair of sneakers or an outfit or something like that, and right. then I was just broke again, right? You know, so that was uh, pretty uh, enlightening. The second thing is, um, <sighs> is you know, my one, one day, and this is an, another life changing moment for me. Um, my manager, someone had stole like so back then. PDAs or palm pilots were like big, expensive items.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. In Walgreens, so those, those were like a hundred dollars each. So someone had stole one, okay. and he didn't know who it was. And he pulled like I was in the office one on one. He pulled me in there. He was holding the wrapper, what, a pen, and he said, "You know, if I sent this to the police station for forensics, you know, would I, would I have, would I, would your fingerprints come up on it?" The first one, I'm looking at him. I'm like, listen, like. Police aren't worried about your PDA, first of all. That's what I was thinking, like, you're smug and young. (laughs) But he said something really interesting. He said, he showed me a stack of of applications. And he said, I can call anybody in these applications, any one of these applications, I can call them back, and they'll be here tomorrow. Mm. You know? And he said it to kind of, you know, check me a bit. Right. But what he really told me is that my job was, I was easily replaceable. Yeah. And I actually listened to him. And it's like, you know what? Because I said, you know what? You're actually right huh I, I you know and, and that that was kind of scary to me
0: that's so interesting it's almost like you were gathering stories to convince yourself that going back to school well, was the right idea well
1: that's how I learn I'm I'm I because i've always been respectful i listen to adults i can listen to other people's stories people tell me things but when i go through things and i experience things i learn the best
0: yeah yeah well yeah i think that's probably true of of everyone so okay so you dropped out so you went back to school did you finish at the berk
1: i finished at the berk um
0: so you got you graduated you got your diploma
1: well yeah i graduated but again i wasn't thinking about the next step after that um and my guidance counselor he always told me that i was intelligent um He's like, man, you're intelligent. Um, you're bright. He, he, and, you know, he would always kind of, like, look out for me. And then my GPA was horrible, by mm. the way. It was a 0. .4. Um, wow. Well, I had straight ups for a lot low. of years. <laughs> I had straight S for a lot of years, well, and I was absent um, and a lot of other things. And, you know, it doesn't really matter what work you do if you have – I mean, it was a six-year period that I was in high school. So Can you, we
0: just stop for a second? So mm-hmm? you – This is amazing to me that we can, I've never, I honestly didn't know this until I got Mm -hmm. into this work that you can just move through the school system with straight Fs, Well, you get like promoted because of age.
1: Well, not really. Um, There's a point when you fall off a track, when you fall off track where you're not actually, you're not cohorted with your, you're not with your cohort anymore, right? Mm. But you still have to be in school, Yeah. right? So just because your ninth grade class, they're not all 11th graders, you're still in the school. Okay. So it's it's more like that.
0: Okay. Okay. So you had a point .4 GPA. You were going to graduate from high school, and were you planning to just go back out into the world were there? I, I didn't more? have.
1: A, I didn't really have a plan. Yeah. Um, and that's what my guidance counselor said. Um, we went to a, a, a school visit, a college visit at Pittsburgh State. Okay. And so he pretty much propped me up. He said, "Hey, I, like I know this young man. He's very smart. He's like, Great. why don't you give him a chance? I got an interview like right on the spot." And I just remember, you know, the gentleman asked me, his name was Malcolm, um, excuse me, Rod. And Rod asked me, he said, Hey, why should I let you come here? And, yeah. I will, and then I was like, Listen, if you come here, I, will. I was like, If you let me in here, I will finish. Um, and I was like, I will not drop out. I will finish, I will complete. That's pretty much it. And I looked him in his eyes and I gave him some writing samples. Um, and then, you know, and then I was, I was, um, he let me come in, but you know, it's, I, I, the reason why I'm pausing because I just thought about another moment that was really interesting. Yeah. So when I first went to the college visit, I didn't actually visualize myself or understand myself to be a college material. Yeah. But I remember sitting in a class, and you know, the professor was teaching, and it was I, I my degrees in my undergrad degrees in computer information systems.
2: Okay.
1: Um, and it was actually one of the professors. So as we sat in the the class. I was watching him sort of go through, you know, his lesson on the board, and I was actually following.
2: Interesting. And then
1: I was like, "Like, I get this." That's so if if this is what college is, like, and I actually can do it, so I went from like not thinking or caring about college, and I remember on the bus ride home to actually wanting to, you know, get accepted. So I was actually wow. nervous about not getting accepted. And this happened in one day. Wow. So that was pretty. Uh, that was pretty interesting. But that's the first time. I actually visualized myself as a actual college student because honestly, growing up, and again, it's funny that I work where I work, like right in the Northeast and the University, because when you live in a neighborhood, you see the college kids at Ruggles Station. Yeah. You know, and they're always different than you. Right. They seem different. They have right. different purpose. People regard them different. And I never really associated myself with you
0: them. You couldn't align with that. No. And then someone put you in a place where you could be in those shoes and all of a sudden you had the ability to manifest it for yourself. Absolutely. That's super cool. So you went to Northeastern after and got a master's degree.
1: I got my MBA
0: MBA. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So this gets to the entrepreneur start part of your story because you helped to start the re-engagement center. Yes. Okay. So take me through what happened. You graduate from Northeastern, with your MBA, And then what?
1: Uh, The funny story was that I was having a conversation with my now wife um, then, and she picked up this article, and it was this gentleman who ended up being my coworker now, Sean Brown. He's actually the executive director of BAM. Oh,
2: yeah, oh.
1: Right, but so he was um, doing a fundraiser, and then she, and my wife was like, you know, this, Um, she's like, you know, this is kind of like you, like all the kids, the kids in the neighborhood know you by Mm -hmm. name, you know, they always kind of approach you. She was like, this is kind of what you should be doing. Like not what you're doing now. And then she ended up like just hopped on the internet, researched the company. And it just so happened that they were in the beginning of doing this dropout work.
0: Oh, Um, really? Right. So interesting. And at
1: that point, what
0: year was that?
1: That was 2006. Okay. And at that time, you know
0: so good to have a good woman behind you right? excellent yeah. it's
1: very excellent it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's very key um and so she actually looked it up and she found found a position And at that point when I, as I was writing my cover letter I realized like I was a dropout but again you know I, a lot of as an adult you're taught to have like a resume mentality right so anything that doesn't make you shiny or look good right, right. you bury it yeah and so you so don't talk about being a dropout um but that's the first time I talked about it
0: I love it yeah, I know, you know, it's a good point, right? Everything, like our story is actually the thing that makes us good at whatever we do. And we do we do try to polish our story as opposed to just being real about it. It's mm-hmm. probably, the realest parts are probably the things that have been most impactful for you in terms of your success in this work.
1: Interestingly enough, is that to work effectively, in my opinion, with young people, you have to be the opposite. Yeah, They want to hear where you messed up. They want to hear right. where things weren't shiny, where it didn't go well, because the... the the thought process for them is that all these adults are perfect, they're all set, and they're nothing like me, they're not going through what I'm going through.
0: Right, and they need that same point of inspiration where they have that moment where they're like, ah, okay, I can do that, I can get that, I get him, he ended up there. Yeah, I agree. We don't, we don't have enough of that, huh?
1: We don't have enough of that, or rather we're trained not to do that.
0: Right. So can we talk about, before we talk about the re-engagement center, let's talk about those kids a little bit. Mm-hmm. So how many kids... Kids. So it sounds like this problem is a smaller problem than it was when you started the reengagement center in two thousand six, and mm-hmm. that's largely due to the work that you do. Um, how big? How big is, is this problem now in two thousand nineteen?
1: Wh- well, I dropout out list. So in the beginning, our dropout list was around like two thousand Okay. students on that list. Excuse
0: yeah. Me a huge number. Um, whereas
1: now, you know, we've gotten that down to like seven 600 okay. is, the, is the average list. So, um, you know, 66% reduction if you want to say the number Yeah. Um, overall. But, um, you know, and again, it, it was part of the work of the reengagement center, but it was also a lot of innovations in the schools. I think if, if I were to say the part that the, I would say this work helped mm-hmm. is it actually, I think people talked about the dropout rate for a while, Yeah. but I don't think much is really done about it. You know, and and what I appreciate about this work is now you can actually talk about it positively because there's, right. there's a, a semi solution as well as other things that are happening inside the schools right. that that um you know people can openly talk about it now because there is something that we're doing.
0: Do you think can we identify kids? Do do you think there's a pattern to kids pre dropout that we can identify when students are in crisis that could. Lead them to dropping out, or is it kind of scattered and it's I think different? Th-
1: there's a subset of students. I think it breaks, it, it, it um, sort of breaks in categories. Yeah. Because there are some students that we've seen were struggling since middle school. Okay. Right? And there's an early warning indicators that right. show you such. But then a lot of times there's life things that happen. You mm. know, there's straight A students um, who suddenly have a death in their family, or, you know, become homeless, or they themselves become sick, or a, parent, a family member becomes sick that can put them, can cause them to drop out right. or, or, or pause school. And then, you know, another thing is that a lot of students don't see themselves as dropping out, right? They just say, I'm not going to school right now.
0: Is it every school or are there, are there X number of schools where we're? It's most, every school. It's, it is every school. It's every school. school. Um, and, okay. and,
1: and I should say that we're not only dealing with dropouts, we're dealing with students. We also are dealing with students who are, who are struggling mm-hmm. um, and they're currently enrolled.
2: Right, mm-hmm. and again,
1: um, some of these students—not high numbers, but even the exam schools have students who are struggling and who we see at the reengagement center um, and who we work with to find another pathway towards graduation. So it's not just hmm. limited; it's all schools.
0: It's a disproportionate number of boys.
1: Yes, there's, there's there's more males. Why? Um, I mean, there's like a million answers for that, and like most of them are like kind of general and stereotypical. Yeah. Um. But but let's just focus on black men yeah. for just because I am one I can speak to that right. Um, lots of us don't have fathers, yeah. or at least fathers who are in our lives, and so the age when you need sort of you know uh, you need male input, yeah. It, it, like so for me, um, you know, I didn't think I needed a father,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then <laughs> one day I got a award from Mammonino and i remember cuz this this predates youtube or any of this yeah you know um and and so then my mother was um we went to Sears and we bought a tie yeah and they gave us a pamphlet in the tie so i went home and i was trying to tie this tie oh. and i could not get it done right. and i thought about my neighbor this is like one of the big influences in my life but my neighbor across the street, he was like an executive director, always dressed up, always. You know, he was like that guy in the neighborhood. Right. So I thought about Coop. And I, so I went across the street and I, I was like, hey, Coop, can you help me tie this tie? Yeah. So he helps me tie the tie. And as he's doing it, like I kind of felt something like, what is this? Right. You know, kind of, a, you know, what I mean? it was like, and then I think I was thinking like, is this what a father is supposed to do? Right. So it's funny. Right after that moment, I became angrier. And angrier because now i realize the role that a father was supposed to play right so i I tell that story to say that a lot of our young men are in that same place that's where so they're just they don't yeah. and so it's two pieces that happens one you don't learn you you become angry because you're not getting direction you're not getting a certain level of support yeah. the second piece is you don't learn how to take support and direction from other men that's an actual skill for another man to like kind of um just kind of uh humble yourself to right. take advice that's this actual skill and if you don't learn that skill, becomes very hard. I mean, you can learn it from sports in, in, in some sense, yeah. but everyone's not in the sport. Right. You know, and, and then and then the third is you end up kind of creating this own like this, a kind of like a fake definition of what a man is, which most teenagers are going to get it wrong like I did. And then you kind of hold on to the wrong values of what a man is. And by the time you figure it out, you're 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, and it becomes harder to get back on track.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's such a crazy thing, though, because, how I mean, given that it's mostly women in the lives of young black men. Is this true? Because it's black and brown boys who Uh, are both similar circumstance. Mm -hmm. Are there, so I think this is why things like BAM are so important. Absolutely. Um, Becoming a Man, which is an amazing organization, but are there skill sets or supports that we should be giving to the women in these boys lives as well to try to, I support them in those ways and to inform them in those ways and it's probably gotta be so hard to know. It's have a tough run, a you know. It's, model. it's
1: it's a tough run, you know, because you 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 kinda get to, to bigger systemic problems, yeah. challenges, right? Because right. some of these things, you know, and you get back into teenage pregnancy, you know, right. and, and, and things like that. Because a lot of so, many of these mothers had children young. Like right. for my mother, like I'm exactly twenty years younger than my mother. Yeah. You know, which is not a bad thing. Right. But it's it's you know, you're Sort of in your own developmental stages, totally. Right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Your like your brain hasn't even finished developing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So,
1: so I mean, so, so I say that I'm not about blaming the victim, kind of a piece, yeah. but it's some of the interventions would have to happen well before this, right? For to, for them, for people to even understand, you know. And and then again, you know, and and you could talk about family structures, and there's lots of conversations about you know what's a good one, what's not a good one. But I'm just I'm saying two parents. Makes a difference. Like it makes a difference,
0: right? And then there aren't that many men of color in leadership or teaching. Absolutely in cities and where these kids are, and the, that could be critically important. The
1: gentleman that I was referring to, Coop, was yeah, he was, and and so he was like my way out in a sense of realizing that there was another way to be And, and Coop was interesting because he's. Just to use hood terms, it's like a hood deal. With, and because it's, it's funny, sometimes you see people who are, who are of color, yeah, but they aren't necessarily from your neighborhood, so you don't relate to them. They don't mm-hmm. have the same struggles, and that's another thing that happens with young men. It's yeah. like it's not there's 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 and again, as you learn and you mature, as I have, you know, I, I have a different sort of uh, viewpoint on that. Right. But when you're younger, and and so what ends up happening is like certain guys or, or people are just they're just not validated. Yeah. You know, it's like that. That they're not. They're they're different right. for whatever reason. You know, understand. and when you're young, you don't have the context to even, you don't have the counterbalance to 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 kind of look at the thing differently. Yeah. But Coop was interesting because he was both, college graduate, um, executive director, leader, dressed up, did everything. But at the same time, he was a basketball player when go to the court and sort of deal at the where I lived. There was like you know the court that I lived in. There was a lot of gangs there. Yeah. And you know, whenever that happens, you know there was a certain sort of energy that they would bring whenever they, would, whenever you know, certain groups of guys would come there. Right. But I would see him like interact with them positively, mm. get respect from them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: as well as sort of mitigate some of the things that were going on in a different way. It wasn't done with like strength and brutality. It was done with wisdom, jokes, and just humanity. Yeah. And then when I seen that, it was like an out for me because I'm like, wow, like so. There's another way. So I don't have to become a street person to be respected by street guys if that makes sense.
0: It totally makes sense. I'm just I'm 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 just amazed by your skills of observation. Like you really were looking for this thing to model that helped you become the person that you are. I was
1: looking for hope. There was always pressure honestly coming up to sell drugs. Yep. to to just do these things and people would speak to you as like that's the only option cuz what else are you going to do. Right. So I was always looking I mean but I didn't really always believe it. I seen mailmen in the neighborhood uh you know uh elect people working on the power lines I was right. like this can't be true. Like there's all these businesses where, like that can't be true. There has to be other things. So I was always looking for evidence. Right. Um and so he was one of the I I definitely found evidence in him that yeah. I that I could and I could be something else. I didn't always know how to how to actually execute that and do it, but I just needed hope.
0: So you are, so you ended up, you, he- you heard about the re-engagement work that mm-hmm. Boston Public Schools was starting to do. It definitely rung true to you and you felt alignment with it and so where did you go who did you end up talking to so
1: that's when I met um so my first interview was with uh was with Kathy Hamilton and Neil Su- Sullivan who I still work with now who partner with the re-engagement center and that was an interesting conversation because you speak about stereotypes and things like that you know I'm coming to downtown Boston which I view as a corporate place which yeah. wasn't as exa- I was exactly the most welcoming place as a young man and I, I didn't know what to expect in this interview yeah but it was Ended up being a conversation yeah. um, about the work, um, and you know it's the first time again I spoke a lot about my experiences as being a dropout. Yeah, and you know they're very entrepreneurial, very open, very smart, and yeah. that was just interesting. And and um and honestly I don't I don't think this work happens without them.
2: Interesting, you know because it's
1: not only the opportunity provided, it's also the mentality that they have in terms of leadership guidance. You know it's like it was it was a very supportive relationship. And you know, it was and honestly, it's always been a partnership. You know, yeah. we've, we've always kind of sat down and caucused about how best to attack things. And, and at the time, it wasn't just myself, it was also Marvin Moore, who was also another former dropout. So it was myself, him, mm-hmm. Kathy, and Neil. You know, and, and again, between myself and Marvin, just having conversations about how we felt, um, that was the, the groundwork of the work. And in the beginning, um, again, our, our job was not actually to recover dropouts at first. Okay. Um, Parthenon report, the first Parthenon report had just been released. Right. And, and the only thing the Parthenon report was missing was actual input from actual dropouts. So our job was to go ahead and get to sort of the stories and experiences of why students were dropping out. But as we were communicating with them, you know, you're talking to human beings who were in crisis. So then they want to know the next step. Uh-huh. Um, and so we began to kind of make that connection. Right. Um, and, 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 I, and I would say that Kathy and Neil's goal ultimately was to do it. But the but are exactly our, what what we were asked to do wasn't that
0: it's so interesting how one thing flows into the next uh, so how hard or easy it is it to re-engage students when you find them
1: um it, it all depends I, I think it's I think it's easy uh-huh. um, and I say that because it, it but what can make it challenging is how they come to you yeah so there's Kind of, to, I'll just break this in two simple categories, right? Yeah. There's those who are told or forced to come to the reengagement center, right? So that means they're on probation, they're in court, ah. our parents force them to come to school, told them like they have no personal buy-in or understanding on why they're there, right? right. You can it, you can recover students like that because you can have the conversation, you awaken some things, and then they can buy in. But most of the time, they don't even understand why they're there. Right, it's and just
0: a part of their probo- prob- probation or yeah, well, rehabilitation.
1: Well, let's just say I wouldn't even just put it on that. Let's just say that the motivation is outside of them.
0: Yep. Okay.
2: Right. I'll put
1: it like that because it can be a lot of different okay. things. And yep. the second of the motivations inside of them, you know, um, where they have some things they're trying to work on, they have some goals already, they have some ideas, they have some hope, mm. right? They, they're coming there with their own energy. They're just kind of looking for a direction. Yep. You know, and and so. Those are the, the the meetings that I would say are pretty easy, because literally it's showing them where they are, yeah. showing them their, their options, right? You're modeling to them right there. Like we always start with our stories and you know sort of um, you know what our experiences were, yeah. you know, and then it's just really about telling uh, telling them the road and the timetable.
0: And that could be what is the average student who's dropped out? Is are they one or two that, years away? Two from? years off track. I would yeah. say the average yeah. student
1: who who, uh, who dropped out dropped out all. But then the other thing is you'll see a student who has one or two classes, okay, and had no idea. The other student, wow. other students who really happens all the time. It's
0: amazing that there is no tracking system that helps kids stay aligned to where they are.
1: It's it's not that it's not necessarily that there isn't a tracking system. Yeah. It's just that young people don't care to track. Yeah. Like like you, you when you break into a teenager's mentality, yeah. right? Their parents or people around them are, are handling these things, right? When I was young, I didn't think about my dentist appointment. Like that was my mother's or right. a toothpaste even, right? That was my mother's job to have a toothpaste there and tell me about the dentist appointment. That's not my thing. Right. And that's how young people kind of flow. So and adulthood in adulthood, you know, and I remember when I first had the conversation with my mother about having my own social security card, having my own paperwork, right? Yeah. That transition for many of them hasn't happened yet like to me you're not really an adult um until you actually own all your own documents like yeah. they're in your possession right you know um and cuz once that happened to me once I really started to feel like an adult yeah. I took all my paperwork back from my mother like this is I need to have my own stuff yeah. I can check in with you to to do this and right. but young people haven't gotten there yet so right. when i when we talk about the grades um they're in school mm-hmm. and they're just being in their mind, like the guidance council would tell me what class to go to, and then hopefully these classes will stop one day and I'll graduate.
0: And you, was that the end game for you? Like the hopefully I'll graduate. It wasn't. Do you think for many of these kids, college is not yet on the radar screen? It's really just maybe I go back to school and get my high school. Um, yeah, for some,
1: for some it is. For some it isn't. I think it's more of you know success. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh. the 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 what is the actual definition of success? So success, and this is something that you know, we do a little bit of in our conversations with young people is really trying to help them define success because success is like undefined and it's almost like a place that one day I'll reach. And when you reach there, there's like some money there and and a little bit of independence. I'll be able to do whatever I want to do. I have my own car, house, and I'll have some money and I'll be successful. Yeah. But that's a concept. It's not, they don't really connect it to anything. They don't connect it to their behaviors. Yeah. You know, and some, you know, say, hey, well, they associate college loosely with success. Yeah. And that's when some of them, because they say, hey, you know, like high school, even the high school itself, right? If you ask an average young person what high school is going to do for them, yeah, they don't have an answer for you. Like I had more of an answer because once I dropped out and I went back, I actually had a purpose right. while I was in school. But most students don't, right. you know, or it's it's outside of them or it's not clear. Hmm. And that's not true for all because some students are very, they say, hey, I'm going to be i I'm going to start my own paper one day or my magazine. Like you have, you hear students who are appointed like that and they know, and, and they start making the connections to, right. to the point where they even know a school they want to go to, but that's not most students.
0: Okay. And then, and then so the, is the reason that the list hasn't gotten down to zero is because are the students who are left on the list, the ones who are it's not inside of them. It's inside of someone else who's putting them in front of you.
1: Well, I think I think the list was larger in a way um, in 2006 because I, I I think there was less of a coordinated effort around young people. Okay. I think that what what we were able to do over the last decade, mm-hmm. um, we're more or less dealing with the harder to place now. Okay. Right, which means that they're chronically absent. Mm-hmm. They may have IEPs. Mm-hmm. Um, they may um, be uh, have ELL, and they may speak have another primary language. Right. right. So, and that's not all of them, but a lot. We're starting to get into a more specialized place hmm. than we were before. Right. Um, I've I've had one situation where I remember this was the day it was, I, I don't know this was the day before graduation. I had a student come in, uh, sit in front of me. Went through their whole transcript and was like, you have all your stuff. Like you can call your family, you're gonna to graduate tomorrow. And they were like totally surprised. Like this, so this here's a student who and the student must have been out for like a, a year or two. Wow. So this student was walking around with all their credits and didn't even know it. Um, wow. so so again, and this is early on, you know, when the list was large and you 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 get a lot of situations like that. The other thing I would say too is when schools so when a student has one or two classes left, mm-hmm. They don't the way school is designed is that you are to attend school the entire day. High schools usually don't like students kind of a lot of different students going in and out on different timings, right? You enter right. the school the same day, you kind of transition, you got your lunches, and then it's the end of the day.
2: Okay.
1: So when a student would only if the student known they only have one or two classes, they would just be upset about having to stay into a, a school building for the entire day. Right. So that's when and so when one of the things that happened um, was credit recovery was introduced because that wasn't always there. That's online classes. Yeah. So that helped a lot of the students who only had one or two classes Like That's the first thing that uh, Carol Johnson um, figured out from the Parthenon report, right. that there was just kind of this low-hanging fruit of students who only had, who had all their MCAS. They literally only had one and two classes, which is the reason why credit, recur- credit recovery was first brought into the district. Okay. So you, you kind of move, and now we're at the point now where, where we're needing stronger interventions. Yeah. Um, um, and just just uh, different solid plans um, in order to, in order to get through.
0: So these and and this is around things like kids who are in school who were they don't speak English as their primary language or they have some sort of IEP so they have special needs need special supports.
1: Pregnant parenting.
0: Pregnant parenting.
1: Um, taking care of other family members.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and so what what is the. That's so that runs the gamut in terms of solutions, I guess. Are there cities that are doing this well for, for that cohort of students?
1: Um, there's other cities since, um, we were one of the first three who started the re engagement center. Um, mm-hmm. it was us, uh, Portland, and Philadelphia. Okay, so I would name them as stu- uh, other, uh, pretty much have the same um, longevity as we've had doing okay. this work. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, there, there are plenty of cities. Um, I, I want to say there's. Now there's 60 cities. Um, I wouldn't. They're not all directly re engagement centers, but they're doing this type of work okay. um, nationally.
0: It's amazing. And do you, um, I'm a huge fan of Boston Day and, Day and Evening Academy, mm-hmm. which is a school kind of set up for kids like this, right? Who yes. are and do we do we have enough of those sorts of schools in the city of Boston to catch or bring back kids uh, who are so, being re-engaged?
1: You know, and so I'll say this. Um, my mm-hmm. viewpoint's kind of skewed. Yeah. Because most of the students that I deal with are at risk,
2: yeah. um,
1: so I just want to say that because yeah. sometimes I speak generally, but I'm talking about the population that I work with. Right. So I would say no, there's there's not, but that argument, you know, but that brings the argument of what do you do more of? You know, do you do you uh, sort of uh, take the challenge where it is, mm-hmm. which is in the current high schools, or do you sort of build more alternative schools? I think that I think that once students get off track, mm-hmm. they need um, I some students can recover in high school, but many in a tra- traditional school, Yeah, but many struggle with
0: that. Well, what I love about BDEA is that from what I understand, if you walk in that door, they know who you are. Mm-hmm. They know where you are. They help you understand who you are and where you are. And you don't leave until you have a plan. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think so. So in talking about like, you know, your vision for where you're headed next, I think they do. They try to do a really extraordinary job at that and so you know I wonder if that that programming is built in to any school where kids who are re-engaging end up so that they have it's almost like you need an extra level of supports to make sure
1: that's exactly what's needed yeah. um, and, a, and a different viewpoint and it's funny and the, the, and it's weird because as adults we do this, Right, yeah. we focus on academics. But and yeah. you know, but the message that I say and, and this is where Boston Day and Evening schools like it excel, is that understand that kids don't care about school. Yeah. Like per se. It's like when you say school, like it's important, it's not important. It's important what the school will do for me in, in my life, where right. it will bring me, not the school. Right. And it's and it's simple and nuanced as is what I'm saying is like the approach. Is different I, and I, so in large district schools don't get me wrong you have extraordinary teachers in all schools yeah. and you know and you have students who fare well in that kind of environment that kind of mentality
2: totally. but
1: for the students who have already failed and are showing signs of failure and have already disconnected and this is again this is why I relate to this because when I was getting those straight F's I disconnected from school right and I was for, and I was forced with a, a decision point am I actually unintelligent
2: yeah
1: or does this grading system not represent who I am? Yeah. So I said literally in my mind, like F doesn't mean anything because I've I've had Fs and passed the final with a good grade. Interesting. So I just disassociated, disassociated myself with grades, yeah. and so I say that to say that when you're talking to when you're talking about the, the importance of school to someone who is not having success there, they yeah. have to disconnect from it. Right. To bring it back to your point about Boston Day and Evening, schools like that focus on sort of hope. Right. Belief in other pieces, right? So then you can go back and focus on academics.
0: Well, yeah. The other thing that I think we kind of comprehensively do, don't do a great job of, especially in more traditional schools, is embracing failure and and helping reframe failure so that students understand where where they still need to work in order to get over whatever hurdle it is. You know, right. this, this whole notion of grading. So finite, and it should just be this perpetual circle that says, Okay, and now here's where you are, and now here's where you are, and where do you think you need to go in order to get to wherever you want to go next? Absolutely. Um, so I, I just could you talk a little, a little bit about some of the tactics you use to convince kids to go back to school? A couple of our staff went out and did neighborhood canvassing with you. I, I know I think the mayor has done that yes. also,
1: superintendent. Last
0: is that a superintendent? Okay, so how. I mean does that work is, is that is that one of your big strategies?
1: That's one yeah. um that's there, there, there's a couple of uh, things that go with that. One is just general awareness yeah um, when you're out of school like young people feel like you don't care anymore to have the mayor and the superintendent show up at your door and welcome you back to school like that means something to uh, to the student yeah to the, parent, to the neighborhood like I remember I oh. remember we were uh, we uh, one of our stops was canvassing in Dorchester. Um, and you know, when the mayor was ringing the bell, like pretty much everyone stuck their head out the window,
0: you know, and it's like, what's
1: happening? And that's, that's usually, they didn't know whether it was something good, something bad, like that you really understand. And as people were listening to the conversation, you know, the messaging that that sends is that this is important. Right. You know, it's important to that one family that you're talking to, but it's also important to the neighborhood to know that the school system is doing something for the students who aren't there. So one of the tactics is just sort of changing the idea of dropout and we use dropout by the way because that's the the term
0: yeah
1: people don't exactly accept that term and it's very negative
0: it's very negative it's very negative that's such a good point
1: you know um and so students so technically i mean i use the term because it's the term everyone knows right but but my real working definition for dropouts are yeah. students who students have left school without graduating right right because that that's really what it is that's and it you just is. have to find yeah. out why they left school yeah you know um but but I, i'm but that that's the one of the tactics um Uh, in terms of the door knocking piece Uh, the other and I would say what we did differently is we did a list of both the students who dropped out but also those who are chronically absent Mm -hmm. Um, and we looked at the students who were like like uh, borderline because sometimes students are in school but they're not there basically you know like we were talking about early one indicators you know that if they stay on this line, they're going to eventually drop out. Right. So we started talking to them as well, um, and just sort of just a really really simple message of you know, kind of you was on the list, you know, um, you kind of struggle with attendance a bit. But here's the some of the here's some of the importance of what it can mean if you improve your your attendance. Right. Right. Because half of the battle is just coming to school. Right. right? If we if we have a student in school every day, you know, then you can there's interventions around the, around in school that you can do. But if they're not there, that's a different issue. So that was another one of the. I would say sort of preventive um, measures. And one of my coworkers, um, Brian Marks, sort of heads that point up, um, heads that work up. Um, So we we sort of uh, kind of uh, joined forces and um, attacked both of those lists on that day.
0: That's such an interesting point. It's almost like there should be some sort of notion of re-engagement even before kids disengage in every school that there's some touchstone that, you know, if you're feeling a certain way, if you have certain EWIs, if, you know, if if you're feeling like it's not a place for you that you could kind of go to and have the supports that you need. Because right now you have to do so much of it after the fact, but if we were doing a little bit more of the work that you're doing now in the schools every day, right. you might also cut the number down.
1: Right, I think, um you know, it's, it's interesting, so, um, Tommy Walsh is, is a, the academic superintendent who is running alternative ed right now, yeah. um, and so these are the conversations that, and he's also heading up the work groups. Yes, um, so this is a, this is a lot of the conversation that's yeah. happening.
0: Yeah, right, right, right. now. Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting. I've been talking to him about it as well because, for you know. I also notice, you know, being very engaged in the corporate world in Boston and knowing what corporations need in terms of employees of the future and things like that, I feel like they can define it really well. And in the schools, we can define where we're being successful and where we're having problems. But there is no, like, great connectivity between the opportunities that corporate America or corporate Boston are creating and pathways for kids to see themselves in those roles and know that oh if i achieve x y and z i have the opportunity to apply for those things and and so i almost feel like there's a little bit more we could be doing to bridge the, the conversations and the opportunities between those two worlds and make it feel like more like one world
1: i think part of it you know again and i always drag things back to the sort of teenage lens yeah is it it's partly that yeah but then it's partly even understanding what that would actually do for you. Right. And right? that's a good so, point. so, like, one of the things I say to young people, a feeling that, that they get is, like, you know, so when you walk through the mall and you have no money. Yeah. Right? You're looking at all this stuff that you just can't get.
2: Yeah. Right? Right.
1: And it's like, don't you want to, like, end that feeling? Yeah. Because that was, like, one of my childhood feelings. Right? Interesting. And yeah. so, you know what I mean? So it's like. They don't always associate the feelings that they're having, right? And and that's, and that's I know I'm keeping on the, the negative point, of view, but even on a on a positive, let's say the statement of, you know, sometimes wouldn't you just like to say, hey, Ma, I love you. Let's go to Cheesecake right. Factory and pay for it. Right. Right? Like, right. like, let's just enjoy a movie together. Like, right. don't worry about it, Ma. I got you. Right. Like, don't you want to have that feeling? Like, right. but you don't necessarily associate doing work finishing school and getting in sort of one of those corporate arenas that you were talking about with yeah. that feeling. It's totally disconnected for a young person. They don't connect them.
0: So, right. And I, th- yeah, you're right. And I think, you know, for someone who grew up like me, that was just, that, that whole structure was there. That's, whatever, that's what you talked about every day. How was school? What did you do? How did you do? And you did all of that because the next step was college because the next step was you were going to get a job and be like one of these people that you grew up with.
1: But and even job and career, that's another yeah. scary piece, right? right. Because um, as we were talking about the, the adults that I was talking to while I was out of school, yeah. another reason why I wasn't exactly enthused about school is when people communicate, like for me, I love my job. I love what I do. Yeah. I love everything around it. You know, even when I'm having a bad day and I'm going, like, I, it's more like, all right, I'm, I'm happy to go to work.
2: Yeah.
1: Most people were communicating their jobs negatively. They were upset a Saturday evening when they thought about Monday. Yeah, you know. And so and most of the times because they were in jobs that weren't careers and weren't really uh, weren't really connected with their skills and abilities. Right. And I think that's the difference. Right. Um, uh, What a job can do. Like so. And again, you know, the thought about jobs, but when you love what you do, you don't have the same feeling about going to work.
0: Well, right. I mean, there, yeah, it's so it is so true, and that gets into a much bigger topic about yeah. like this pervasive depression and sadness that you exactly. know it's in all of our communities, actually. Exactly. Um, well, let me ask you a big question. Mm-hmm. So, if you had a magic wand and everything that needed to happen to fall in line, so that dropping out or disengaging from school would just became a thing of the past, what what are the things? that would need to happen to make that true?
1: Um, One, I don't, I think that there's, I would just say that even though I would love to, for it to be like that, I don't think that would ever happen because I think there's always going to be people in crisis. So I think the first setup was that we actually have a reaction, like the re-engagement center and other things, Mm -hmm. when that happens, Mm -hmm. right? But what what you're really getting at is how can we lower that to the point where it's really, really manageable and we're really just dealing with actual crisis. Um, (laughs) Connections, I think, Education in itself leaves it too much to the individual to make the make the actual connections to why it's important. So I mean, I've always been a why person. Um, some of my best teachers, you know, when you ask a teacher like, "Oh, why is math important?" It's like because I said so, or you know, just like or right. almost almost an answer like you're supposed to know. Like you're just being a jerk. Right. The best teachers actually challenge me and say, "Hey, you see that cell phone you're holding in your hand? So it's the it, so it's these concepts and these mathematical." Uh, Algebraic concepts is what makes that cell phone work.
2: Yeah, you know what right. I mean,
1: and and they would always hit me with that. Um, so so I'm saying is like that took me from like being a quasi jerk to almost say, oh, that's that actually makes sense. Yeah, how does right? that right? And the more of those things that I when I look at my trajectory outside of school, um, my trajectory do school. Yeah. Right. Was more about me finding reasons to connect to it. Yeah. So if, so to ask the big question, there has to be more of those things happening in school. Students always say it, I don't learn about, I don't learn any financial information. Um, I don't learn, I don't, this is irrelevant. I don't learn the things that I actually want to learn. Right. So, you know, I, I would do more to do that. Like, I mean, you have BAM, you have other, uh, other, um, organizations that are doing this, but right. that's the sort of quintessential piece to be able to ask these, to answer these questions for students. When a student says, You know, education is not relevant to me. And by the way, the students who are saying it in a real way and acting on it are largely urban students who who are um, from low-income families. So you got to realize, even though it might sound kind of jerkish when they're saying it, yeah, no, it's coming from a real place. Like, they actually don't see why it's important. I mean, you get a high score on MCAS, like, what, the, does your skin change color? you right. like a sign on you? Like, no one sees that. Right. You know, exactly. they see, like, a pair of Jordans or, like, some nice clothes or, you know, like, that's what you see. Right, that's so, right. So they're not. So So I guess what I'm trying to say is I think, and again, that's when Boston Day and even a lot of alternative schools do a better job, I would say, um, by design with that. Yeah. So that's one of the, 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 the biggest pieces that I would start first.
0: Yeah, and I think that probably ties to one of the other working groups, too, uh, around guidance counselors and our need for having many more mentors, folks who can guide us, folks who can help us see the story, who can connect dots for kids and answer questions like that in a way that engages the student and gets them excited to be where they are and, and doing what they're doing.
1: Internships um, as well. Um, when you think about alternative design, like there has to be a bridge between uh, being able to earn credits and actually doing something that earns money at the same time. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, and and uh, yeah. I, used to, I used to have a mentoring program myself, and it's interesting because I had the act, I had the academic view, I had the mentor, we had mentors, yeah. right? Um, yeah, we had we had uh, academic view mentors, and then we also had internships from them. So when you have that conversation um, with them, you pretty much have like command of their whole life almost to like oh the viewpoint because all viewpoints don't match. Who I am in school is not necessarily who I'm at at work. It's not necessarily representative of the personal issues that I'm going through. But it, but but I would say that's probably where a therapist would help, because you would almost crash all those worlds worlds together and have a conversation about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You know what? That's that's a really important point. The that it's the 360 degrees of the student that we have to pay attention to, not just this finite slice. Thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you here to talk about this. It's really important work that you do. And thank you for having me. Thank you for everything that you do. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Manny Allen from the Reengagement Center at Boston Public Schools. I think that it is amazing that Manny is taking his own experiences as a disengaged youth to help students who have left the school system return and achieve their high school degrees and set productive paths in their own lives. Boston is very lucky to have Manny at the helm of the REC and the center's success is admirable and replicable in other cities across America. I hope that you enjoyed the podcast, and if you did, please feel free to like it or share it with your friends and community. If you have a question, a comment, or a catalytic idea, please reach out to us at infoshawfoundation.org. At